Welcome to the Access Church Podcast, where you can get life-changing and life-giving content to help you in your lifelong pursuit of Jesus Christ. My name is Garrett Black, and I'm the pastor of Access Church. I want to thank you for choosing to hit that play button. Feel free to follow us or subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, but even better yet, come worship with us in person on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. in Glen Ellen if you are local to the area. For more information, visit www.accesschurch.com or follow us on Instagram at Access Church. And that's Access spelled A-X-E-S-S. Let's jump into it today. One of our core values at Access Church is that Jesus is our model. Now, when we talk about Jesus being our model, that's a very broad topic because Jesus was perfect in every sense. Therefore, we would do well to look to him for many things pertaining to managing relationships, setting boundaries, knowing God as our Father, developing a prayer life, and and much, much more. The overwhelming nature of the number of areas that we could and would do well to follow Jesus' example in is the very reason why it's a core value for us. Jesus was given to us by God for far more than just dying on the cross for our sins. He was also given to show us what life was meant to look like when God created humanity. I once heard one of my teachers uh, say in seminary that Jesus was the most human human there ever was. He shows us what it looks like to live life as humanity. And as much as I would love to cover all the topics relating to that model that Jesus has set for us, the area I want to focus on today with you is that Jesus models ministry for us. Jesus models ministry for us. So let's begin today by looking to define what exactly is ministry. Well, if you look at Luke 3, verse 23, after it talks about the baptism of Jesus, which was a climactic moment in the story of Scripture, especially a climactic moment for Jesus, capping that event, Luke tells us, says, Now Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. We find that again in Luke 3, verse 23. Now, If you look at the original text in the Greek, the word ministry actually is not in there. Ministry was added in our modern translations to convey the idea. And I want to ask, but does it actually convey the idea well? Does it actually get the point across that Luke was trying to make when he wrote that verse? You know, when we think of ministry, you probably have a lot of current ideas of what that looks like. There's the official ministry, like a pastor or some sort of staff position in a church, like a youth pastor, a worship leader. We can think of it in lay terms for those who work in the marketplace but are involved in the ministry of the church, say through service projects or serving on Sunday morning, like ushering or or sound booth, or going on missions trips or participating in community outreaches, all kinds of things. But I think this falls short of what Luke was really communicating in Luke 3.23. You see, after verse 23, Luke goes right into our favorite part of the Bible, which is a long genealogy. Obviously, I'm being sarcastic there. That's usually the part that we skip. But that was an intentional thing that Luke put in there. 
And he put it there for a reason right after that baptism. It says so-and-so was the son of so-and-so and so on and so forth. But among all the names in the list, you'll find some that you recognize, just like Adam and Abraham, Enoch, Noah. And I would contend the most important one in there is David. You see, God promised something to David, and it can be found in 2 Samuel 7. This is what God says to David. It says, The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So in the immediate context, that prophecy was referring to Solomon, who would literally build the temple for the Lord. David had the desire, but Solomon, his son, was the one that actually uh, fulfilled that desire and built the house, and that was by God's design. He told David that you've shed too much blood in your ministry, and I want a man of peace to be the one that builds my house. So Solomon's the one that does it. And so that prophecy immediately would refer to Solomon, but it also extends all the way down the lineage, all the way down the line of those who came after David. So before I go into that a little bit deeper, I want to read one more verse from 2 Samuel, and it precedes 2 Samuel 7. It's 2 Samuel 5, 4, and it says this, David was 30 years old when he became king, and he reigned 40 years. So Jesus began not his ministry at 30 years old. Jesus began to reign at 30 years old. The event in the Jordan River was Jesus' appointment and anointing as king. And this is what Luke is getting at. Right after that baptism account, he goes into the genealogy to show that Jesus came in the line of David, that Jesus was the fulfillment of the prophecy given to David in 2 Samuel 7, that he is the one that God will put on the throne, that he will be established, and that he will reign forever. And Luke caps it off by phrasing it in the exact same way that it was phrased about David as king, saying that Jesus began at 30 years old. That's actually closer to how the original Greek reads. It doesn't have ministry in there. It doesn't even talk about the type of things that he does. It just says Jesus began at 30 years old. What did he begin to do? He began to reign as king. He was installed by God to reign as king. Well, if that's the case, and we talk about Jesus being our model in ministry, how closely can we follow Jesus' model of ministry then? Are we all called to be kings? Are we all placed on a throne like Jesus? No, we cannot follow that. And it could seem like we are then eliminated from following his example, but no, that's not true. Because although Jesus was in that moment beginning his reign, we also see the counterbalance, which is that Jesus refused the frills and advantages of kingship while on earth. He avoided being made king by the people. They tried to install him as king, and it said he slipped out of the crowd. He escaped. He ran away from the throne that was on earth. 
He never sought a throne. He never tried to get put on the throne. He never looked for a political position to climb the ladder. He never did that once. And he never wore a crown on his own accord. Jesus never put a crown on himself. It was put on him, likely against his own will, a crown of thorns mocking his kingship. But that was placed on him by soldiers. Jesus himself never put a crown on. So Jesus, yes, reigned as king, but never sought the position of a king while on earth. Instead, he sought the position of a slave, of a servant, as Mark said. But even then, is Jesus too divine? Is he too kingly to walk in his footsteps, to follow after his model? Well, I think Luke, again, so expertly crafts the way that he writes to say, no, you can still follow in his footsteps, and this is why. Right after all this, we jump into Luke 4, which is known as the temptation of Jesus. Satan himself comes and tempts Jesus time and time again with the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, all these things. Well, James says in his letter that God cannot be tempted by evil. Well, we believe that Jesus was God 100%. But he was also 100% human. And Luke is always making sure to emphasize this aspect of Jesus' life. He was also 100% human, which is why he was able to be tempted by Satan. Temptation itself is not a sin. To give yourself over to it is the sin. So Jesus being tempted is not an issue. But what Luke is really trying to say Well, I think he's trying to say a few things there, but one thing he's definitely saying is, hey, this this God right here, this person named Jesus Christ who was just anointed and placed on a throne that you cannot see but is very real, he's also human like you and I. So that takes down this barrier that we often build between us and Jesus, that he's divine, he's human, therefore we cannot do the things that he did, but I think Luke would disagree with you. I think Luke is actually making the opposite point. That yes, although he's divine, although he's God in the flesh, he is still human. And there's something to be said about that and how we can follow in his example. You see, Jesus did everything as a human under the power of the Spirit. Philippians 2.6 says this, Speaking of Jesus, Paul writes, Who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. You see, everything that Jesus did, he did it as a human, not as God, even though he was God. Just because he didn't do it through the power of divinity, doesn't set aside the divinity. It just states that he did not use his divinity to do those things. This is good news for the world that Jesus did not use his divinity. It's good news for the world that he refused to operate as God, but instead operated under the power of the Holy Spirit. Now I'm going to illustrate it like this. We all know the tech company, Apple. We know that they are the tech giant of the world, and they're also known for innovation. But if any of you have been keeping track over the last 10 years or so, their innovation 
has stumbled quite drastically. See, I'm an Apple fan. I have Mac computers. I have iPhones, iPads, AirPods, iThis, you name it, I got it. I love Apple. I respect Apple. I think they make great things. But I would also say that ever since Steve Jobs passed away, their ability to innovate and their ability to capture the world's attention with the things they create is starting to slip. And I know it's getting bad when the main feature in the new iPhone is the fact that there's not a black bar at the top of the screen. Guys, that's not that's not an innovation. All you did was remove a, a, a black bar from the top of the screen. That's nothing to get excited about at all. Look, Apple has struggled ever since Steve Jobs passed on. Why? Because all the innovation, all the, the brainchild behind Apple was locked up inside of Steve Jobs. He was the one that drove the innovation behind Apple. And the moment he was gone, I would say that the innovation has taken a major hit. And this is what happens when something that's good is locked up in something that's temporary. You see, if Jesus had done all these things by his divinity then the moment he left earth, those things would be gone. All the healing would be gone. All the miracles would be gone. All the prophecy, all of it would be taken up to heaven with him because he did it by his divinity. But instead, Jesus did it through his humanity in submission to the Holy Spirit. So Jesus showed us what it looks like to do ministry. He didn't do it like Steve Jobs, he did it in a way that it could continue on after he left. You see, after Steve Jobs passed away, the innovation went with him. There was no way for them to continue on the way they were able to do it with Steve Jobs because it was taken with him. And had Jesus done these things by his divinity when he was on earth, the moment he left earth, those things would have been taken with him as well. But instead, he did it through his humanity and submission to the Holy Spirit. And so it wasn't locked up with him when he was taken away. Instead, we are able to continue that ministry because it's by the Holy Spirit and not by Jesus' divinity when he was on earth. Jesus discovered his identity through the power of the Spirit. Jesus performed every miracle through the power of the Spirit. Jesus preached under the inspiration of the Spirit. He overcame temptation through the strength of the Spirit. Jesus was even raised from the dead by the resurrection power of the Spirit. Jesus himself said, I could take, I can lay my life down and pick it back up myself. I have the authority to do it. But if you look at all of the writers that talk about the account of Jesus' resurrection, they will all say that he was raised to life by the Spirit at the command of the Father. Jesus himself did not raise himself from the dead. The Spirit did it. The Spirit did all of it, and he's still doing it all today. You see, here's something that we learn about the Holy Spirit in Scripture. When you begin to see that all the things that Jesus did was by the power of the Spirit, we realize that the Spirit is absolutely obsessed with undoing the enemy's work. The Spirit is obsessed with undoing the enemy's work. Look at Acts 10, 37 and 38. It says this, You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached 
how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. Look at right there. Luke, the writer of Acts, references the baptism of John, references the anointing and empowerment of the Holy Spirit upon Jesus, and then says it was under that anointing and empowerment that he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil. The Holy Spirit was undoing the work of the enemy. He was taking off shackles that were put on people against their will by their adversary. But you see, Jesus did not start out this way. He didn't start out this way. Before the baptism account, in Luke 2, uh, 52, it says that Jesus was growing in wisdom, in stature, and in favor with God in man. Before the baptism event in Luke 3, we never have one miracle recorded at Jesus' hands. So what was he doing during this time? If he wasn't preaching, if he wasn't doing miracles, like we know that he did in the rest of, of the gospel, what was Jesus doing? Well, he lived a pretty normal life, just like any other Jewish person around him. He was working. We know him to be a carpenter. Some would say he may have actually worked with stones or stone cutting and stone laying. He spent time with his family, with his mother and his brothers before they thought he was absolutely crazy. He spent time in the synagogue as an attendee. He was listening to the scriptures. He was listening to rabbis expound on the law of God. Remember, Jesus only had the Old Testament law. He didn't have the gospels. None of that had been written yet. So he's listening to rabbis expound on the Torah, on the word of God that, that they had. You know, when he went back to to Galilee after his baptism, they knew him in the synagogue as Joseph's son. So he was he was known around the synagogue. That means he spent time there. He studied the Torah. He spent time in prayer. He observed Jewish festivals. He was probably establishing some of these uh, rhythms that you see later in the Gospels where he's slipping away to pray in secluded places and, and things like that. Uh, I, I would I would bet he was probably establishing some of those rituals uh, and rhythms of his life uh, early on in the 30 years before the baptism event and before he's uh, uh, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Jesus was faithful to God. He was obedient and he was growing in every way. Luke says he was growing literally physically. His physical stature was growing, but he was also growing mentally. He was growing in wisdom. He was growing in his understanding of scripture, his understanding of the Lord's will. And he was also growing in favor with both God and man. Think about that. Jesus himself had to grow in favor with God. Again, points to his humanity. If, if, if it was solely his divinity, he wouldn't have to grow in favor with God. But because he submitted himself to the limitations of the flesh as a human, he had to grow in favor with God and man. Now, faithfulness doesn't equal power. Faithfulness doesn't equal power. I see this a lot. Is We have this idea that the moment you get saved... The moment you get baptized in water, the moment you confess Jesus Christ as king, that all of a sudden you live the full Christian life that we see 
in Scripture. But I don't, I don't think that faithfulness automatically equals power in your life because Jesus himself was the epitome of faithfulness, sinless life, perfect obedience to the Father. But before the baptism account never records a miracle, never preaches a sermon, never heals the sick, never opens a blind eye or a deaf ear. He doesn't do any of those things. Not that he wasn't faithful, not that he wasn't pursuing God, but he wasn't yet clothed with power from on high. That was something that happened after the fact. Much of Pentecostal and charismatic theology stems from this distinction right here. And us at Access Church, we uphold this distinction as well. You can experience salvation and eternal life, yet not be clothed with power. Now, I want to be clear, this is not this is not a matter of salvation. This is not an issue of salvation. Many times when I'm talking to people about the baptism of the Holy Spirit with receiving the power of God on your life, sometimes they get anxious, they get worried because they think this is something they need to do in order to go to heaven, in order to be saved. Absolutely not. This is not a salvation-specific event in your life. This is not a checkbox that God's going to be looking for when you are knocking on the heavenly gates, when your life on earth is is over. No, this is not related to salvation. You will still go to heaven. God is still pleased with you. You can still have a vibrant, overflowing, fruitful life with God here on earth. That is not what we are referring to. That's not what I'm referring to here. But what I am referring to is that there's something that happens when we receive this power. When it's given to us from on high, because it's for the sake of the mission of the gospel. You see, God's power in our lives is a tool to tread on the enemy, just like Jesus tread on the enemy and undid all the work of the adversary. You see, the power that God gives us is for those around you. It's for those around you. It's for the sake of the mission. It's outward focused. It is to undo the works of the enemy by the power of God. If the enemy has exercised any power through putting shackles on people, through putting them into bondage, then the Lord, it says, raises a standard against them. And guess what that standard is? It's being empowered by the Holy Spirit. It's being anointed from on high to go and say, take those shackles off in the name of Jesus, your Lord and Savior, who has come to set you free. You see, you plus me, we equal Jesus together. You plus me, we equal Jesus together. John 3.34 says this, For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The gospel writer John was commenting on the type and the depth and the breadth and the width of anointing that Jesus had from the Father. And he says, that he was given the Spirit without measure. But then in Romans 12, 3, Paul 
writing to the church in Rome, commenting on the structure of the church and the way that we operate as the church, says this, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Now, I use the the English Standard Version for both of these because they use a word that I really like in both of these, which is the word measure. Measure. A measure is, is a allotted portion that's given to you. It's measured out to you. It has an, uh, an end to it. It has a cap to it. Now, John starts by saying that Jesus had the spirit without measure. There was no cap. There was no limit on it. But for us, Paul says, we do have a cap. We do have a limit. Now, is this saying that we we have a limited Holy Spirit in our lives? No, you have the fullness of the Holy Spirit when it comes down to all things relating to salvation, when it comes down to identity, when it comes down to fruitfulness, when it comes down to the love of God, the peace of Christ in your life. You have that without measure. You have full access to everything that God offers in those areas. But what we do not have full access to, what we do not have without measure is the Spirit in our life in the terms of power and anointing like Jesus had it. That was unique. That is something that we cannot replicate on our own. And this is the key. This is the key issue here. Yes, on our own, you as an individual, me as an individual, we cannot walk in the spirit without measure like Jesus, but we together as the church, you plus me, we do equal the spirit without measure. Because what happens is this, when I show up and I walk in power because the the Lord has anointed me and empowered me with the spirit, and when you show up and you've been anointed and you walk in power, then we make up the hands and the feet and the arms and legs and the voice and the heart and the head of Jesus Christ and we come together and the fullness of Jesus Christ is present because you plus me equal Jesus. Your measure plus my measure equals the full measure. Paul even says in Ephesians when he's talking about the gifts again in scripture, it's in Romans and Ephesians and 1 Corinthians when he talks about this, but in Ephesians he talks about it and he says, That as we all grow up, as we all bring our cup to the table, he says we will attain to the full measure of Jesus Christ. He's saying our cups all together make up the full measure of Jesus Christ here on earth. And we need to represent Jesus well when it comes down to walking in power and unshackling people from chains that were put on them against God's will against God's will. He never created us to walk in bondage like that. He never created us to be slaves of sin. So it's time for us as the children of God to stand up, to seek power, to seek the anointing of God. If you are one who would say, I have a very vibrant relationship with Jesus. I love being in his word. I love spending time in prayer. I have a strong identity of who I am in Christ. I've experienced his forgiveness. The fruit of the spirit in my life is alive and well. But you recognize that this whole concept of walking in power, the whole concept of undoing the works of the enemy because of the power that God has placed upon you, if that's something that is foreign to you or has never been taught to you, right now, I'm gonna pray over you. 
And I'm going to encourage you to seek after the empowerment of the Holy Spirit because it's something that God desires for each and every one of his children because he's called us to be conquerors. Well, conquerors have to conquer over something. They have to rule over something. He's called us to rule over the works of the enemy in this world for the sake of his kingdom. So right now, Jesus I just thank you. I thank you that you did everything through your humanity. Not because you are not God or because you lied about being God, but because you were God but chose not to hold on to that. To show us what it really looks like to be a human under the power of your beautiful Holy Spirit. And Jesus, I pray over each and every person that's listening to this podcast right now, that has a desire in their heart, that's that's welling up right now. Their heart is beating strong right now, knowing they are called to this. Jesus, I ask that you would answer the cry of their heart right now, that you would clothe them with your spirit. Lord, that you would let them know that you have called them to be conquerors, Ones who go and set people free from oppression in your name. Not in our name, but in your name. For the sake of your kingdom, that we would go and set the captives free, just like you did, Jesus. We want to follow in your footsteps, Jesus. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. Well, hey, thanks again for joining us on the Access Church podcast. I just want to remind you, If you want more information about who we are or even coming to a church gathering, a Sunday worship, visit www.accesschurch.com or visit us on Instagram at Access Church. And again, that's Access spelled A-X-E-S-S. Well, be blessed. Be clothed with power. Go and break off the bondages that the evil one has put on those around you. And we will see you next week.